Welcome to Soli Church. This week, Pastor Nate Stead teaches on the great banquet out of the Gospel of Luke. Enjoy. I'm Pastor Nate Stead here, and welcome Soli. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. And it's right in that section of Luke that I just taught on. Right in chapter 15 is the parable of uh, the prodigal son. And so we have some of the similar themes uh, that will come out today. But let me read for us. Turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24, and I'll read for us. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, kids, so today we got five words for the kiddos today. We can't put them up on the screen, so listen carefully. Five words. Every time I say them off, kids, maybe some of you adults, you can check them off. Um, here are the five words. The first one's insider, insider, kingdom, meal, Jesus, and rest. You got that? Insider, kingdom, meal, Jesus, and rest. Okay, so if you guys go to our, you don't have to do it now, but if you go onto our website, it's solely, uh, one of the first things that comes up is one of our statements. And this statement says, where the gospel rest of our triune God is the beginning and end of all worship, preaching, discipleship, and life together. Wow. We are so like catchy with our phrases and our marketing, right? We're so catchy, but oftentimes us as pastors, we forget that, you know, we haven't brought everybody along and they're like, what in the world is gospel rest? You know, what does that mean? And we got a few things we want to, we want to clarify over time. But what is meant by gospel rest is, is putting faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. It doesn't mean that I crack open a nice cold one and stop doing anything. It doesn't mean I quit my job and stop being the best husband ever, which I am, I know. Um, it doesn't mean I let myself go physically, obviously not happening. You know, 
or emotionally or, or, you know, spiritually, right? It simply means that through faith we rest in the finished work of Christ. He is our hope and where we put our trust. Jesus saves, not me. I don't trust and rest in myself in my good works, but in Christ alone. And all of life's God-glorifying work finds its origin in resting in Christ. Now, here's the difficulty. No matter how much we tell ourselves that we trust and rest in Christ alone, somehow we end up in varying degrees trusting and resting in ourselves and other things, things of the world. And oftentimes they're good things. It's an ongoing battle for all of us. And I hope some of these things might be, might be brought to the surface today so that you might rest in Christ. Jesus is warning the insider in Luke 14. And when I say insider, I mean the, the, it's, it's kind of like the people in the pews. He, he's speaking here to the Pharisees. These are the people inside as opposed to the sinners who are on the outside. And so don't, I just don't want to be so focused on Pharisees and Jews and Gentiles. I want us to think a little bit different about being on the inside or being on the outside. Pride is the reason people miss being the bride. We miss the party because our hearts have been tuned to sing our own praises as we bask in our own good works and self-righteousness. We dismiss going to the party because we have found our salvation and worth in other things. You guys have thrown a party, right? You've had a party at your house. What do you want for the people there? You want them to have a good time. You want them to relax and enjoy, to be a part of the family, to be filled physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But we, we find in Christ's parables here is that the insiders, these Pharisees, are already filled with themselves and their own self-justifying work. And there's so much so that they miss the banquet. And after all, if they stopped what they were doing, they might lose the things that give them their worth. The kingdom right there at this meal. They're sitting there with Jesus. The kingdom is right there present with them and they can't see it or they don't want to see it because they have their own kingdoms established and they're comfortable letting the true kingdom go. And the scene is set in verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, this is verse 1 of chapter 14, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the rulers of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. First, we find that Jesus has been invited to a Sabbath meal. You know, he's there with some uppity ups, some really high up, potentially high priestly people. It says that they were watching him carefully. You know, it reminds me of like a dingo watching a baby, right? They're just sitting there waiting for him to mess up. You know, they just, they want to accuse him. And a day of worship and resting in God's goodness turns into an afternoon setup where they, the insiders, are working their religion. The whole scene is dripping with religious pride. The Pharisees have invited Jesus to build their case again against Him. They want to trap Him. They can't stand Him. He's hanging out with outsiders. He's healing the crippled on the wrong days. Right? He's not doing things as they say they should be done. But Jesus knows what's going on and begins to bash holes in this boat, in their religious boat. 
And Jesus first leaves them speechless by healing this man in the beginning of the chapter that's got dropsy or he's got swelling in his joints. And he even asks them, can I heal this guy? And they're silent. They have nothing to say. Can I do good for this man that's standing before us? And they have nothing to say. The religion, their religion had become ridiculous and the very laws instituted to bring life and rest are bringing death and work. We're not far from this, right? We do this in church where we take, like, just take our liturgy, right? Our liturgy is great. We love it. Family, there's other liturgies out there, okay? Ones that are sometimes two hours longer than ours. So some of you be thankful, right? Um, but we take this great thing, liturgy, and we make it gospel. The liturgy is not the gospel. The liturgy is a vehicle for the gospel, Right? But yet we make, we praise this thing in our way about going, going about church. Zoli's got it right! Right? And this very blessing that God has given us, just a system of walking through and partaking in the means of grace, all of a sudden becomes everything. And that's what's happened here with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is supposed to bring life and rest is bringing death. You know, if someone's stuck in a hole, if your oxen or your child, am I allowed to take them out on the Sabbath? And they have nothing to say. Because the religion has become death and work as opposed to life and rest, which is why God gave us the Sabbath. It's what our sinful hearts do. Second, Jesus goes after their pride. He notices how they come to this meal and how they all posture and how they all position themselves for the highest place at the table. They want to be affirmed. I mean, God forbid they have to sit you know, far away because then they won't look good, right? It's because they see themselves as important and deserving of high honor and a high seat at the table. It sounds just like our modern culture. You go out there, you walk the streets, and you ask people, why would God let you in to heaven? And what does everybody say? I'm a good person. You know? You could probably walk through our jails or prisons and ask the same thing, and they'd say, I'm a good person, that's why. Right? We do this, we self-justify. And then Jesus says in verse 10, look at it, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This meal's getting tense. You guys have been at these meals where it's just getting awkward, right? Jesus is uh, reproaching these people. He's coming at them, and the Lord knows exactly what's going on. And as one commentator I read said, rather than bringing fire you know, and brimstone down on them and just crushing them, he goes at it through parables. And I think there's a reason for this. When you're dealing with pride, you guys ever dealt with someone that's really prideful? Right now, you're just like registering everybody in your mind. You know, you've got them on your list. Oh, they are David Deutsch, right? If you go at them, if you go at them directly, it just kind of like bounces off of them and almost builds up pride. And so Jesus kind of comes around for a hook, right? Jesus takes this long road to rebuke them through parables. The reason is, is Jesus gets after their pride. Because pride is devastating to individuals and communities. And it's been said that pride is like the carbon monoxide of sin. The more you're breathing it in, the more, the, the less 
you understand that you're taking it in. The more prideful you get, the worse off you are. It's like a snowball. You can't see it. The more you breathe it in, the more dead you are, and the more inability you have to change your circumstances. In our religious pride, we can become so great a Christian that we miss Christ. And some of the most scariest verses I were ever read to me, and I ever read growing up, were Matthew 7, 21 through 24. We read this. Not everyone, you guys know these verses. Probably scares some of you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that's where I'd always go, oh my goodness, like I got to do more? Like what am I supposed to do here? Look, there's two ways to heaven. Not really, but there are. I'm just going to say there are right now. There's two ways to heaven. You got to live an absolutely perfect life. And I don't mean from conversion. I mean your whole stinking life from cradle to grave must be lived perfectly. That's how you end up with God. But fortunately, for most of us that are honest in here, there's another way. And that's riding in on the coattails, on the bank accounts of someone else who has lived the perfect life. And there's only one, and that's Jesus Christ, right? But what happens here in Matthew 7 is they go straight to their works. We've done all this in your name. Mighty works in your name. Look at all we've done. Look at me. We've prophesied all these things. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Because they leaned into their works and what they have done. And the perfect will of God is that you live a perfect life or trust in Christ. But the self-righteous turn to their deeds and their work. And as the great theologian David Deutsch once said, God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. Look at verse 12-14. through It shows up right here. It's all about getting a return. It's all about affirmation. It's a performance-based relationships. They only invite friends and acquaintances and those who can pay back. Jesus says, invite those who can't pay back and your reward will be in the resurrection. It's what their religion had become. I do good for you, God, and now you do good for me. You have to repay God. You owe me. And I love this guy in verse 15. Look at verse 15. And I, I imagine this guy just laying down, lounging at this meal. There's all this tension going on. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You got this guy laying there, and he's like, man, this is getting tense. I'm going to just change the subject, right? Awkward, right? It reminds me of me, you know? It's all going to work out. I say that all the time. You know why? Because I don't want to deal with the issues, and they're right there before him. But Jesus takes full advantage of what this guy says. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this parable that Jesus is going to tell gives us a phenomenal picture of of redemptive history, mankind's issues, and the Lord's heart for the outsider. Look at verse 16. We read this. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. 
And what you guys got to see in Scripture is that it's centered, oftentimes it's centered around meals. Luke's Gospel is centered around ten meals. The Jewish annual calendar, I think, was centered around seven different meals or feasts that they had. It's all about meals. And if we look at redemptive history from creation to the culmination of the Kingdom of God, we see two meals bookending history. There's a meal in the garden, a disobedient meal, where Adam and Eve took the fruit, disobeyed God, and ate, which causes separation and a breaking off of the relationship of God with humanity, which now bleeds down to all of us. And then you've got another meal in Revelation 19, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Scripture is bookended by meals. And this banquet here, it's a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's great, and it's grand, and it's majestic, and it's huge, and a lot of planning has gone in to this meal. Think in, think in Revelation 19, it says, Blessed are those that are invited. And I think of John 14 too, I go to prepare a place for you. Since the first century, Christ has been preparing this meal for us. You want to talk about aged meat and cheese and wine? I mean, we might be too far off now, but this meal has been planned and is being planned for a long time. It's a huge meal. And a lot of work has gone into this banquet. Invites have gone out. Guests have RSVP'd. But look at verse 18. They all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. Now there's a few things in here that remind us of hum humankind in our own hearts. First off, all of these people have RSVP'd. It's so unlike the millennial generation, like the generation right before me. We don't like commit to anything like till like right up to the date, right? You know, because something else might come along, right? But here they've RSVP'd. They've committed, but other things have come up to take priority. Lord, you're everything to me. I love you. I'm utterly committed to you. But can you give me a little more time to find some security, to make some money, and to get some loving? I mean, that's essentially what's here, right? They need property, the oxen, loving, right? Here's the second thing. None of these things are bad. Land, possession, a wife. It sounds like everything God desired of humankind in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. We're to have dominion over land, over the animals, and we're to get married and have kids, right? None of this stuff's bad stuff. But good things misprioritized will mean no rest for the weary. They can't rest and enjoy the banquet when their self-justifying saviors are possessions and people. Look, if work, stuff, people, politics, children, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, become our Savior, the work and devotion to those saviors will never let up. If you find your worth in your work and you're fired, you're worthless. If your marriage falls apart, you're worthless. If your children, which will never happen to me, end up being crazy and not all dialed in, right? 
You're nothing. You're a failure. You're an embarrassment. Think of politics. You know, if Bernie doesn't win, right? It's over. And you'll still owe your college, you know, fees, right? You'll still have to pay your college debt. Anything other than the Lord is Savior. Listen to this. This is key. Anything other than the Lord is Savior is a harsh taskmaster that will never let up. These people can't party. Their false saviors won't let them. They can't go to the banquet. Their worth is in all these other things. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. And right here, right in these verses, we see the heart of our Lord. First off, where there is righteous anger, there's love. Don't miss this, people. You can't have a loving God without an angry God. And some of you are like, what in the world? Just think about it. If I say I love my wife, if I say I love my kids, and somebody comes and offends them and hurts them, and my reaction is like, there ain't no love there, people. But if someone hurts them and offends them, and I am enraged, and I bring out the guns, and I bring the wrath down on them, because where there is love, there is anger. There's anger. And the master here, the person that's put this banquet together, should be angry. Because the very people he's invited and he wants there are not coming and it breaks his heart because he loves them. Secondly, the kingdom of God is upside down. I know this is hard for a lot of you successful people in here, but the losers win. That's how it goes in the kingdom of God. The outsiders become insiders. The last are first. Third, God chooses those who have nothing to bring. The poor can't bring a six-pack to this party, right? The cripple can't dance. The blind can't get around on their own. And the lame can't help clean up the party. You know, of course this isn't necessarily exact, but the real truth, this is a picture of the real truth that God chooses those who have nothing to bring to the banquet. The host provides everything. Salvation is a gift. It is pure grace. It's unmerited favor. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not as the result of work, so that no one may boast. We bring nothing. And then lastly, God's desire is to pack out the party. God loves His creation. He wants the party filled. And He says, compel them. Plead with them. Urge them. And He talks about the streets. And it's almost like He expands out the streets and the lanes 
And if there's not enough there, go out further. Go out wider. Grab anybody and everybody that will come and invite them to the party. And it reminds me of 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Black, white, Asian, Mexican, all people, everywhere, God wants them to be compelled to come in. His desire is to pack out the kingdom. Christian, my prayer for you today is that you would rest in the finished work of Christ. Stop working and stop performing to be accepted. Stop coming to church and putting on a show. We are a bunch of broken people in here. I know the pastors. Okay? We don't come here to be affirmed in a sense by each other. We come broken. We come into this place to feed on Christ at His table. To feed on Christ in His Word. To pray together. This is a place where we are brought before the means of grace. Baptism, prayer, Word, table, and we're built up. Rest in Jesus Christ and from that, move out into the world mightily, built up, shored up, restored today. Now for anyone else, my prayer today is that you are absolutely stinking exhausted serving the false saviors of this world. That you are worn out performing. You're worn out trying to have perfect kids. You're worn out trying to do everything you can at work to be affirmed. I pray that you are worn out and that today you would find rest in the only place you can actually find rest and that is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, He is our Sabbath rest. Put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to gather as Your people. Father, help us to just bask in, in gathering together as we approach the table today. This is a little glimpse of the wedding, that feast, that marriage feast that we will have together with Your Son, Lord Jesus, in the future. We gather on Sundays to be reminded of Your grace and Your goodness to us. I pray for everybody here that is trusted, that leans into You, has put their faith in You, Lord Jesus, that they would continue to do so, that Your Word would build them up, that they would know Your grace through prayer, table, Word today. Help us to rest in You. And I pray for those that do not know You and have been resting in everything else. Even good things they are starting to see that don't bring rest. It's exhausting. I pray today 
they'd come to know you, that you would instill faith in their hearts, and that they would be born again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come worship with us every Sunday morning at 2304 Antonio Drive, Camarillo, or you can visit solelychurch.com, S-O-L-I-Church.com. Have a blessed day. Soli Deo Gloria.